Welcome back, Rebels. You should always be safe and careful. You should definitely always be safe and careful. Never do anything stupid. Yeah, I hope. I really hope that over the years of us doing this podcast, I know it hasn't been years, but over the time of... Uh, <laughs> it's felt like years. <laughs> over the time of you guys <laughs> listening to this podcast, I hope that you're not cherry picking the bits that you want to hear. I hope that you're not yeah. going, yeah, fuck a nine to five. I want to have fun and do a creative job all the time. Um, yeah. And that you've also picked up that like, yes, I can leave this shit job that I hate, but only when I'm ready and when my side hustle is like big enough for me to step into it and I'm fully prepared and I have a safety net and everything is is safe around me. Yeah, it's funny because there's actually like a definition of what intelligence is and that's being able to support your own opinion, which is why people get in this cycle of like consuming the news that really like amplifies what they already believe in. So if you if you are cherry picking, fair enough because that means you're very intelligent, but stop it. <laughs> like you need to start being responsible. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so. We've been getting a lot of messages recently and pandemic has been a huge time for people to take that time to reflect. And a lot of people have realized that they're really unhappy in what they're doing. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to find automatic happiness in quitting that job and starting something else. Um, and I, I want I want you guys to be safe and responsible in moving forward. Like everything does involve risk, but. I hope that you're not going to the stage of where if this fails, I'm going to be like completely destitute because that's not what we want. We want like, yes, take a risk with something like fucking like we risked, we risked so much doing what we did, but we never risked like becoming homeless or, or like our relationships or whatever it might be. Yeah. There's different levels of risk, isn't there? There's a level of risk of taking everything you own into a casino and putting it all on red just to hope that you can double it or go completely bankrupt. But it's judging it and making sure that it's a level of risk which you can afford to lose. I think it's like with gambling with anything. Effectively, you're gambling with stuff. So it's like making sure that if you're going to gamble, make sure you, you're you so aware of what could happen and make sure it's in your favour as much as possible. Because I think if you are going to drop out of school, like leave a job, any of those things that are massive life changes that you've got something there ready to go into. So I think it's really important that if you want to start something on the side, if you want to move and start going freelance or your own, whatever it is, that that's built up before you go to quit whatever you're doing. You make sure that there's a transition period where you're like, okay, well, actually now my side project, this thing that I've been doing on the side for however long has got to a stage now where it's basically drawing me away from my what I'm doing day to day. And I think as soon as that starts to happen, when you're like, I don't actually have time to push towards both of these things, that's when you can start to leap, when it's actually kind of demanding it of you rather than just thinking, I'm just going to jump now and hope that it catches me along the way. I heard this amazing thing the other day that was life, the meaning of life is brain chemistry and how you feel about yourself is really ultimately the only thing that matters. And everything that we do is for brain chemistry. Like we do things to feel certain ways. And even if we are miserable at a certain job, the reason that we keep at that job is because we, we feel that we need it to support ourselves and we feel safe so the safety overrides the feeling of misery of going in every day and sitting next to karen yeah because i suppose on that it's like we're designed to survive that's like our most basic human instinct and if by being in that job that we don't like allows us to survive that's the thing that we're going to continue to do so then when you look at what does success mean to you i know that these decisions are going to support me becoming the success that I want to see. And for everyone, Mm. that is completely different. So I think we need to get rid of these these ideas of success that are just very cliched, um, big house, big car, because we know for a fact, for a 100% fact, that that does not make people happy. Like that's, that's science fact, kids. Yeah, I think the big house, big car thing is really interesting because that's generally it's almost like someone else's view of success that you're now putting on yourself to be like oh I want to achieve that because that's what I'm supposed to do because that's what society says that is successful this big house this big car but actually like well what would you be happy with like if you're walking down the street with 10 million pound houses you're like one day I'm going to buy one of those 
actually, well, how many, what percentage of the population will actually own one of those? And what kind of jobs do those people have to be able to go and afford one of those houses? Actually, you, it might not be something you want to do at all. There's a good chance that, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you're quite a creative person. You're looking to do something creative with your life. I would almost bet 95% of those houses at least are owned by people in the finance kind of banking law sector those jobs that earn a really really large amount of money but those people generally sacrifice in their day-to-day happiness so it's really thinking like well what is achievable what would actually make me happy it doesn't need to be this 10 million pound house it could be just a regular house because that like that is fine like that's what you should be aiming for it's like look at whoever's top in your field and then maybe think okay what is achievable here rather than just having some pie in the sky dream that the media have told us that by having a nice house a nice car that's that's what we need to be successful yeah we really spoke about that in the rebecca henderson episode of the the way that capitalism is set up is is consistently we are all being made to feel less than so that we buy the products to fill that void and though that product will fill that void for a very very short space of time and then we have to go on to the next thing And as soon as you realize that that is just a trap that so many people are caught in and you can rise above that and not be caught by it yourself, it's like a superpower. It's like when Mm. I get all of these like Instagram ads and and like we're being bombarded at all times, but it's quite a nice feeling to go, ha, I don't need that. Like (laughs) literally do not need that. Um, It's such a lovely feeling of knowing that that you don't have to conform to the, the sticky trap that everyone else is stuck in. And I think what's really interesting, it's something I've observed, like quite often at the weekends we'll go for like nice walks around like nice areas with these big, beautiful houses. And one thing I notice a lot is that no one has a flashy car. Like quite often if people live in like a beautiful house in the countryside, they just drive a really standard car. They're not being overly flashy with it, which I think is really interesting. And when you realize actually the people who do have all that money aren't trying to be flashy, they're not trying to buy those things, then it it really kind of skews your perception because actually it's just the media that's being put out there that makes us think that we need to drive a Lamborghini or a sports car or something like that to be successful. On my goals, there's definitely like, there's definitely a certain amount of money that I want to achieve. Um, but but I understand that it's it's around pleasure. It's around the things that, that bring me pleasure. So like my toy room, my toy collection, um, my sneakers, like all of the stupid shit that br- that brings me pleasure, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't tie around my happiness, and so, so, so it's not like if by in five years' time I've not got to the financial goal that I've set myself, it's like, well, maybe my house won't be as fancy, but I'm still going to be just as happy because I'm making sure that I'm ticking off my other goals of like being creative, using this show to reach and help as many people as we can like bringing in new opportunities for the company, speaking on big stages, all of these things that I know actually make me happy, then that's that's the key. But like, I definitely want to be successful and I definitely want to make a shit ton of money. We both do. We're both like really driven in that aspect. And I don't think there should be any shame around that. Like, like go and get the bag, man. Like fucking make a load of money. We all want you to be like super successful, but don't let it fucking tie you down and don't let it become this obsession because like it's just it's just not worth it like it 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 won't fulfill you it won't it won't it's not going to like change internally the person that you are the person who you are is who you are yeah i think it's so bloody cliche but it's like just be happy with what you've got i think a lot of the times it's so important to just look at what you do have and appreciate that for what it is because i think then when you actually go and earn something that is more than that you get so much more from it it's like if i'm happy with where i am now anything else is a bonus mm. and i think that's a really nice mindset to have like appreciate where the where you are the fact that you do have a roof over your head the fact that you can still afford to buy stuff like just appreciate that and then yeah just level up from there rather than having some huge goal in your head that you'll never achieve because i feel like if you set yourself something that is unachievable you're never going to be happy because you're never going to get there especially if it is a goal that you've just basically picked because you've seen it on tv and think oh that's what i want i've watched cribs i've watched selling sunset and those are the kind of houses that i want it's like by having more of a realistic goal and being just being more like content with what you currently have 
you will be so much more happier from that. And I think that's really important. So we're in a, a real kind of unstable time where uh, like we're all, all of us are all, all over the place. Don't beat yourself up about that. Like it's, it's pandy times. It's fucking weird. Like we've, none of us have been through anything like this before. So we're all just riding on this weird wave. Um, but I want you guys to, to like be smart, look at the, like, bef- like look before you leap um, and, and listen to your internal voice, like your, whatever it is that you're currently wondering about, that you've got this kind of instinct about, and there's something that's holding you back from actually doing it. You're, you're probably right. Like you, you probably, you know yourself better than anyone else knows themselves. And like, take that chance, make sure you're safe, but take that chance. As we said at the start, it is that safety that is so important. It's making sure that if you do leap, there's something there to catch you. The fact that you've built up something on the side that is big enough that it can support you, even if it means you're going to have to take some form of pay cut, it's still there to keep, like, it's still there, it's allowing you to survive. Whether that is a buffer that you've saved in advance to make sure that even if no work comes in for the next year, you've still got that in the bank or just a company that you've set up that you've got a few freelance clients that you already have there. So if you do switch and go full-time in your side project, which will now become your main project, there's enough there to support you. You're not just going into nothing. Yes. Um, So keep the DMs coming. Love love seeing what you guys are up to. So um, yeah, keep in touch. This episode, uh, to segue beautifully, is with Ben Jeffries, um, who has definitely listened to his own voice and gone against advice that people have given him and and ultimately like he was in the right. This is uh, our final episode with Adobe. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this series we've done with Adobe. This is the final one of the eight part series we've done with them. And I think it's just been great the fact they've supported us on this journey of talking to these great creators over the past eight weeks. And as we've said before, Adobe have actually said like, if you can sign up through the link creativerebels.co forward slash Adobe, you'll get a free, like a free trial there to use the Adobe products. And then we'll actually get a small commission on everything if you do sign up going forward. So, so if you're thinking about using some Adobe products, like if you sign up for that link, you'll help us out, which will be absolutely great. Yes, that is creativerebels.co forward slash Adobe. Go and check out uh, the free trial. And yeah, I mean, if you're starting a business, um, you're pretty much going to need to be using those tools. So <laughs> yeah, so yeah, get on it. Cool. So let's get into this episode with Ben Jeffries. Yes, indeed. He's Ben Jeffries is an entrepreneur and founder of the influencer marketing platform, Influencer, which is a great name that they managed to get. Ben started the company at just 21 years old with co-founder YouTuber Casper Lee and has grown a hugely successful pandemic-proof company. Ben took the massive decision to drop out of university to follow his passion and hasn't looked back since. Welcome to the show, dude. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really excited to be a part of it. So as most uh, 15-year-old boys, you decided to um, start a t-shirt brand. I think we've all been there. Uh, Adam and I can certainly relate to having those dreams. (laughs) Um, But you actually did it. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where, as you said, I think most 15-year-old, you know, um, kids see perhaps, you know, the hypes of the world or these like urban streetwear brands and think it'd be something really cool to do. and I just, you know, just kind of decided that me and my friends had this saying, which was basically chatting breeze, um, that wouldn't it be funny to actually put that word breeze onto an actual streetwear brand? So had a bit of demand before I actually went up over to actually do the actual brand itself. So um, yeah, I kind of just went for the punt, so to speak. And what, what did that demand look like at the time? Just your friends or? Yeah, it's in like, you know, I guess just chatting throughout on our mates just saying, you know, wouldn't it be cool if someone actually put the word breeze on a t-shirt or put the word breeze, you know, on a cap or rucksack. Um, so because those conversations were already alive, it was like, okay, well, let's see um, if, you know, h- how easy it is or how hard it actually is to, to make a clothing brand and then see where I can take it. Um, so I was always had like a keen interest in graphic design. Um, so I basically designed a logo myself um, and then sent it, you know, out to a couple of merchandise houses to see if they could actually help me, do, uh, you know, turn this, I guess, idea into reality. Um, and it was when, you know, I spoke to a couple, there was one down in Cardiff called Awesome Merchandise, actually, um, who were able to just do it, um, you know, really, really easy for me. Um, so it kind of seemed a no brainer because I'd had that demand and I thought I designed something quite cool from a graphic design perspective. And what did that look like when it came, like, came back? Because 
I know most people when they start a clothing brand as a teenager might make one or two t-shirts or order a batch of t-shirts and then be like how the f- hell am I going to sell these? Oh yeah I mean t- to be completely honest I think the first like sort of rounds of products which turned up it was more like oh my god you know what on earth is this that I've actually <laughs> de- you know designed <laughs> is anyone going to actually purchase this? Um, but I think you know after a couple of rounds of you know um, changes to make sure that it was exactly um, what um, people would actually um, wear and actually buy and with some help of some you know I guess useful marketing techniques um, it was able to yeah I guess gain a little bit of traction but I think the actual funny thing about this whole clothing brand is I guess the phrase chatting breeze was actually chatting shit essentially so yeah essentially what I was selling was a clothing brand which had the word (laughs) so but you know managed to get uh, you know still drum up interest and you know allowed me to have um i guess my first dip into what marketing um would look like and you know how i could gain some skills in there to i guess propel other brands in the future what we always say to listeners of the show is that until you start something you don't know where it's going to take you and i think having the courage and actually like as i said a minute ago like all 15 year old boys want to start a t-shirt business but through actually starting it you can then discover what you're interested in and if that's no longer t-shirt making you it can kind of propel you into what it is that you are interesting so so what were some of the things that happened around the t-shirt brand that that sort of fueled what you're doing now for anyone who sort of you know sets off a business who knows exactly where the business is initially going to be in you know in three to five years time, you know I can bet you that they're actually lying about it. I think you know it's important <laughs> to have a vague idea of sort of where you want to take it, um, and to you know I guess be having that as your goal and your aim. But realistically, you know the amount of pivots you'll always go through um, is uncanny. I think for us, or you know. For me, in in the breeze days, it was okay. Well, it you know got my appetite into social media advertising and influencer marketing. So from social media advertising, I was realizing like you know the power of um, if you could play on the algorithms of how many you know you know interest you could get on your page. So when breeze was about, I grew our Facebook page to fifty thousand likes very very quickly by just holding a competition um, on the Breeze Clothing um, Facebook page. And naturally, because the algorithm on Facebook really favored um, strong engagement, then it was pushing it out to other people who were then able to discover the brand through that. And that's what got my interests into, um, into I guess, you know, what social media was back then. And that was, you know, one avenue I went down. The other avenue was... Um, I'm a massive Chelsea football club fan, so sorry if that offends any listeners. But, uh, <laughs> big Chelsea fan, probably keeping that a bit quiet after um, the weekend's result. But anyway, um, with that, um, I reached out to a bunch of Chelsea reserve team players. And, uh, you know, I always knew that if celebrities wore your clothes, you were able to really propel a brand, um, you know, completely out there. And um, I thought, well, if I can get some Chelsea players um to wear my clothes that would be you know absolutely incredible of course i didn't know any actual first team players nor were they really reachable or you know accessible so i reached out to a bunch of reserve team players um who had like 10 15000 followers at the time we we're talking about names like you know Josh Blackman Josh McEachern um these smaller players who um have you know gone on to do some things now but back in back in the day they were relatively unheard of but for those who were actually, you know, a true Chelsea fan, they would actually know who these players were because they would follow them. So anyway, uh, managed to get through to them, sent them some of my clothes and said, look, if I pay you 50 quid, can you do a tweet um, about my clothing brand? And they were more than happy to. Um, and I was noticing I was getting a really good response from these smaller celebrities on social media. Um, and I suppose that's kind of stemmed into what, you know, micro-influencers are today. Yeah. Um but yeah, I kind of, you know, took those learnings, took that network of um, not just Chelsea reserve team players. It did branch out into other, you know, sporting team reserve team players and other people who had these smaller followings on social media and essentially see, you know, where I could take it. Um, and yeah, took this network and then essentially went into setting up, um, I guess, what influencer is today as a business. And in what ways were you reaching out to these players? Were you just dropping them like a message on social media? Were you emailing them? and? It was literally 
to be honest, using the word, you know, spam, like spamming them on every possible way I could. I mean, you know, messaging them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. I think, you know, you've got to be open to just being a little bit cheeky when you're, you know, in those first, you know, rounds of, of, of business to really get that growth. You have to be cheeky and just yeah. hustle your way through everything and just message, message, message. Um, and, you know, obviously some won't actually ever get back to you, but those who do get back to you, you can start forming those relationships with. It's actually quite funny. So being that Chelsea football club fan I mentioned, I obviously tried to hustle my way too much to John Terry because he actually ended up blocking <laughs> me on Instagram and he still blocked me to this day, which is heartbreak because he's obviously, you know, <laughs> captain leader legend, but yeah. It's funny with those, you, you sort of feel like when you're first starting out and the, there's that kind of real imbalance when you're when you're reaching out to those bigger people, it's almost like if you shoot your shot too early, because it's like now I'm sure those DMs, a lot more DMs are going to be open and, and accessible to you because you've you've established yourself. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But, you know, I think it's just about hustling. And, and, and I think, you know, people will, you know, a lot of celebrities and a lot of influencers do respect to hustle because themselves they've hustled to get to the positions where they are yeah. themselves. So I think that's, you know, in all walks of life, whether that's not even just, you know, influencer marketing, but just in business, I think, you know, a lot of people who've made it to certain positions where they've got, they've done that through hustling. So I think people respect fellow hustlers in a way. <laughs> saying we were actually talking about this earlier and how if you can find someone who's definitely gone through the journey that you've been through, contacting them is going to give you a way bigger chance than someone who hasn't because if you know someone's gone through that grind and they've started from nothing then they're way more likely to say yes to you than someone who has just kind of had it handed to them completely agree with you in 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 that sense i, th I think you got to i guess adapt your strategy and how you're reaching out to people based on what you can see from their profile you know the way i would hustle to get an influencer on board to the business would be very different to how I try and get a CMO to give us their brand cash. So yeah. different sort of hustles, but you know, certainly still nonetheless, you know, hustling. Do you have any like secret techniques for the DM? Like what's the, because obviously people are getting bombarded at all times. Like how do you stand out just in the DMs? I think, you know, there's two things with that. Number one is, you know, be personable everyone hates um you know a message which is quite clearly a mass spam message yeah. um so there's something you can include which is personal even if it's just looking through whether it be you know on instagram looking through their nine most recent photos and picking up a theme and then messaging them based off that or if it's you know looking at someone on linkedin spotting something from their you know their linkedin profile which they've mentioned in one of their job roles you know it, it might be that you know you went to a similar university to someone or you might have studied something similar um you know something where there's a some element of i guess connection um which you can start the conversation off. people are much more willing um to yeah start the conversation off based on the back of your message yeah something that i do um which i feel like works really well and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the nine things it's like having that bit of like relative like the recent context so i'll quite often if there's someone i want to get in contact with and maybe i've dm'd them and it's just gone through the night they never see it i'll wait until they post a story and then reply to that story because then it's way more likely to be seen by them a reaction to a story than just a cold dm so if they do something, I'll react to that story in a genuine way of like my response, what I thought of it or what like if they've asked a question, I'll answer the question and then start a conversation from there. So it's almost like they've opened it up for like some kind of reaction because they've put the story out there. So I feel like that's quite a good, quite a good way in. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, it's not just necessarily go straight in with, with the kill, so to speak. But I think also, you know, there are other techniques as well where, you can perhaps play to someone's ego um, as such. Mm -hmm. So if you can see that they're clearly very proud of something on um, either you know, their social channels, um, then bring that up and say, you know, you know, I saw you were recently X, Y, Z. Um, massive congrats. I'd love to go for a coffee with you. Or, you know, I'd love to talk to you about X, Y, Z. Um, so I think, yeah, there are certainly different techniques you can do to improve that hustle. <laughs> Now, Ben, you're probably bored of getting asked about your age because um, I know it comes up so often, you being like such a young founder. But how did you find it when you're starting out, like being taken seriously? Were were you taken seriously because people were like, 
this is social media and this is a younger person that understands it or did you find yourselves in in rooms where just just your age was kind of uh, being held against you yeah my age was certainly in the early days being held against me in, you know with certain meetings so i remember actually going to pitch for a client and at the end of the meeting they were all a bit cold and i couldn't really necessarily understand why um also i thought you know i thought i'd work really hard on this pitch and i thought you know it, it would do well anyway after I left, within like 15 minutes of leaving, um, they actually messaged me saying, um, thanks for coming in. Was great to hear about your, I use the exact phrase, little project. Um, best wishes for everything in the future. Currently, we're going for someone a little bit more experienced. And it was like, you know, it was it, it, it was more just the way that, they, 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 that, you know, they respond in that manner. You know, I think you can always give someone a certain amount of respect, especially when they put effort into something. So that you know really i guess um grinded my gears as they say um but then on the flip side you're right there are some people who you'd go in and pitch and they'd be like yes this person gets it because you know they're they're the sort of age where it works um or the, you know the biggest users of perhaps a so you know a different social channel or they're the, you know the peak age so it wasn't all doom and gloom and it wasn't all you know championing um every every meeting because of my age there are obviously a certain things um which um, I guess helped position things. And, and I think, you know, when um, Influence was growing and when my co-founder Casper came on board um, and Casper himself is, you know, one of the world's leading influencers that added a lot of authenticity um, to the brand of Influencer where it was kind of yeah. like, okay, well, this brand has to be taken seriously almost because this guy's involved. Um, so I think that added, you know, some strong weight. And I guess, you know, as stuff, you know, starts building up, you build those more case studies, you build better relationships. Then again, yeah, um, it, it helps just, uh, I guess, build that image where people, you know, then have to take you seriously. Um, and yeah, helps having that strong brand. Yeah, getting that cosign is so important. It's like me and Adam could have done a podcast. I mean, we often get feedback of, I love your intros of just you guys talking. But had we not got a lot of the big guests on that we've got, then I don't think people would, as definitely not as many listeners would be tuning in because they wouldn't have discovered the show because we didn't have the, sign, the cosign of those big guests when we were starting out. So um, I, I think it can be such a huge boost for people. And especially when you meet someone where your your skills kind of are if if their skill is over here and your skills are over here and you can kind of meld like that which it sounds like that's what happened with you and casper you you both had very different skill sets but brought together you were really powerful together a hundred percent i think you know a phrase casper always has said to me is you know the only way to grow is to make things with i guess people smarter than you but the most ironic thing is that's how everyone should think you know, every, you should always be bringing in people who are smarter than you around the business. I mean, that's how we've grown today is that, you know, we've consistently hired people who are better than us at doing, you know, the roles that they're doing. And it's that complementary skill set, um, which enables companies to grow. And you shouldn't be afraid as well. I think, you know, especially when you're starting off as a business, you shouldn't be afraid um, to relinquish some of that control because it's often very hard to do that because it's like you know it's your, it's your company it's your baby as such um but you do realize that there are obviously people who are experts in certain fields and you know you don't want to be that jack of all trades master of none um you know you want to find those masters of some who are able to complement so that together you're a master of all as a business so what do the early days look like then before you've met casper and you have this idea i'm going to set up an uh marketing influencer agency i mean I, w I wouldn't know where to start. So what 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 do you do? So in the very early days, um, as I said, you know, I had these like network of creators, um, whether they were the reserve team footballers or whether they were just creators who had, you know, those low social media followings. And I brought up this network and I kind of, you know, packaged it all up. I designed a, you know, a pitch deck and I was sending it out to brands with the case study of what I was able to do with Breeze. And then some other brands that, you know, were able to softly try it as well. And as I said, it's just about building that credibility. So the more case studies that you get, the more, you know, more senior brands will be able to take you seriously because you have those creds, which enable them to trust you to be able to do it. And what I think what's really interesting there is the fact that 
your first case study was something that you did for yourself for free. And I think that is so important when getting started with something, when you've not got any clients who are willing to pay for something, it's to go out there and create your own case study. Like so many people that we've talked to on this show have started off their career by effectively going to do something for themselves and then using the skills and like what they've learned there as their first case study going forward to clients. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's so important that, you know, don't think that not having a case study is a blocker. If you can believe in your product that much, then you should be able to, you know, either offer it to a few people, maybe on a smaller scale to initially trial to get that initial rounds of feedback um, or be able to, you know, have it as a, you know, outcomes based so that, you know, you can actually then still get remunerated for it. um, But there's little, you know, risk to someone actually testing it out and trialing it with you. So as influencers getting started and you've started to reach out to people, how does it then turn into a business? Like how do you get your first clients? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I, I suppose it, it again goes back to that element of hustle. You, you know, I think at, right in the early days, I was looking at who was spending on, you know, Instagram adverts, Facebook adverts and thought, okay, well, they would be the natural people who would also be interested in them putting money through people who had these large social followings. And I was even doing the old, you know, looking on a, you know, when I was sitting on a tube, seeing who who was advertising all around me, writing all the brand names down and then reaching out after them um, by just finding their marketing managers on LinkedIn. And I think, you know, then it was very much um, a case of word of mouth spreads. People move around to different companies as well. You might have worked with a marketing manager who's at company A, and then six months later they're at company B, um, which obviously helps because yeah. um, if you're still doing a good job at company A, you have the you know the case studies of both continuing. Um, and I think it is just, um, I guess, yeah, as I said, just seeing where other people are advertising. And saying, okay, well, if they're spending money there, then it's about saying, will they then move to spend money on influence marketing? Yeah. Uh, in researching you, I heard you say so many times about building meaningful relationships. That seems something that's obviously like really, really important to you. Why is building meaningful re- relationships so important? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. So I think first and foremost, it's much cheaper to retain a client than it is to consistently keep winning new clients, right? Yeah. And it's so important that when you're building that meaningful relationship at first with your clients, um, that you're truly understanding what they want to achieve from, you know, what you're doing with them. You know, it's important to understand all the KPIs up front. So at the end, you can exactly tell them what you've delivered against what the expectations were at the start. Now, we really ingrain that into our business. So we say that we're building meaningful relationships between the creators that we work with and the brands that we work with. And we do that by, you know, understanding the brand expectations up front, but also understanding do those creators' expectations from what they think their content will do will match that of the brand expectation. It's really, really important um, to be doing that. And we're very data-driven influencer. It's probably a phrase which you hear a lot, but, you know, we invest very heavily into the data that we have. And that helps to build that more um, meaningful relationship because we can understand the data behind the creators, we can understand the data behind the brands to ensure that that relationship being built is built on so much more than just what they say, but you know, the personality behind them, the data behind them, and yeah, multiple different layers. So you and your team are obviously like experts when it comes to data, like it's something you spend a lot of time with. Like someone kind of who's starting a small business, someone who's kind of a small creator themselves how can they use data to their advantage to help drive traffic at the start um there probably wasn't as much data involved as there is now um and i think there was a lot of manual processing of data um whether that be you know getting the data directly from the brand on their own social listening or getting that data directly from the creators from screenshots behind their profiles um but since yeah. then we've obviously moved over to you know, having like IBM Watson, for example, power our, you know, building of campaigns and building that meaningful relationship. So we've been able to grow and provide, I guess, more accurate data. But from the same note, there's nothing wrong with at the start, not having the most accurate data. At least you can explain what the data means. Um, Because there is so much data out there. 
that people just want you a not to just bullshit them and b just tell them what you know how this data is advantageous to them as you know the people spending the money on it and as a creator how can i like find out who my audience is and work out how best to kind of serve them so i mean there's two routes obviously you know all the social networks have their own tools behind them so whether that be youtube having their creator studio instagram as well having their creator studio i mean you can access the analytics within the app but if you actually log on um on the web version there's um a lot more data as well um but when you connect yourselves to various platforms so the influencer.com platform um we give you what the data insights we have on you from what your personality insights are saying from what you're saying on content um on the content that you've been posting what your audience is actually saying about you in the comments that they're writing on you we collect all this data to help better shape better map you up against other creators two brands that you're working with to build that more meaningful relationship do you ever have any sort of resistance um in terms of like the the word influencer it sets off a very definite um kind of stereotype in people's minds like how do you how do you combat that a hundred percent i think for us um one thing which is quite funny is despite our name being influencer you won't see a single mention of you know an actual creator being called an influencer on our website and that's because we focus on the influential content creators um so those people who've bought you know who've built their audience certainly not bought built their audience um because of the content that they've created um and you know we really believe in those you know those authentic trailblazers who were perhaps one of you know an, a niche food blogger or a fashion blogger who've you know grown their audiences based off off that um rather than necessarily just being on a reality tv show and jumped up their following very quickly one thing i thought was really really interesting that you said before is when it comes down to the money split between kind of media spend and creative spend and i think you said kind of 60 percent media spend to 40 percent creative spend I thought that was great. The fact that you're really promoting spending money on creative. Yeah, 100%. I think it's so important to see that influencer marketing isn't um, just a media spend. And that, um, you know, although there is obviously that audience amplification when you're putting it through their followers, um, there's certainly that creative spend. Because obviously these content creators are experts in producing this amount of content. And this content obviously takes them a considerable amount of time to actually create themselves as well. Um, so it's so important to see that as two different moving parts, as you said, the, you know, the creative spend and the media spend. How did you manage to get hold of the at influencer handle? It's a really good question. I think I'm much prouder of the at influencer handle than I am of influencer.com. I think influencer.com is cool, but the Instagram handle is the real winner. Um, actually, funny enough, our first Instagram handle was Influencer Co. Um, and then I managed to, I guess, somehow just persuade someone who was sitting on the handle to not massively overprice me and charge it. Um, so I did have have to pay for it off someone, um, but best amount of money ever spent. Another thing I've heard you talk about is how important culture is within a business. How would you describe the culture at Influencer and how have you kind of curated that to be something that like you're proud of? Culture to me is definitely one of the most important things. Um, one thing I'm really proud of at Influencer is that um, no one's ever actually quit Influencer. Um, well, semi like one person's quit Influencer, but she asked for her job back two weeks later. So, and we gave her a job back, of course. Um, but um, it's something which I suppose we've just, you know, managed to spend a lot of time in investing in our team and making sure our team really feel brought along the journey with us because ultimately the only way we've been able to get to where we've got today is because every single one of their hard work um so it's just about ensuring that they feel as much as part of the story as every single person in the company does um so that's something you know which we take you know great pride in and we do that through you know having some various cool perks where that be you know some 
outrageous sort of like summer parties, Christmas parties, but also just investing in things like, you know, their uh, mental health and things like, you know, doing regular like mindfulness sessions. Um, so making sure they really peel, you know, feel part of, um, you know, a family influencer and values is something which we really do promote internally. Um, we've got a number of um, values um, internally, which go from, you know, like breaking boundaries together um, to not just following and influencing. And we really try and install them in every single, um, you know, um, meeting that we have as a company all hands. Um, so that's also something which we're really proud of is we're very transparent with the company. Um, so we're always telling them, you know, what our growth plans are for the business in the next 90 days, what our growth plans are in the next 12 months, the next three years. Just so that, as I said, we're bringing them along that story, but we're also holding ourselves to account by telling them all of this so that we are all um, understanding, you know, where the business has the plans and the clear pathway to growth. And also, obviously, we're recording this in 2020 now, which is kind of COVID year, as I feel like it will be known forever. Have you seen influencer marketing change like since like the lockdown in the UK in March? Yeah, it's been really interesting because I think, you know, April and May, things certainly dipped. I think advertisers um, worldwide just put, you know, pauses on their advertising. Um, you know, like Pepsi and Coca-Cola for the first time basically ever. Um, so paused while you know um, advertising activity, um, but you know as things have um, I guess come slightly back to normal, although not really. Um, at least brands have understood how best to advertise during um, you know I guess the new COVID world. Um, I hate to use the phrase the new normal, but I'll go for the new COVID world. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they, they've adapted there and creative is now more important than ever. Um, we actually just have just hired um, a head of content strategy who was from Maker Studios and then Disney to help really um, improve our existing creative offering to advertise. Because we, we understand the importance of, you know, getting it right at the moment. Um, so creative is something which um, has certainly been, you know, at the forefront of everyone's mind during COVID. But yeah, as I said, you know, April and May sort of dipped, but then July was a record month. And then August and September have been, you know, growing as well. So I think it obviously depends on how um, government legislation goes and all the rest of it, um, because that will obviously adapt various marketing strategies. Um, but I think given that people um, are spending, you know, much more times on social media now and using it to get closer to creators and the brands that they perhaps aren't able to get as close to because of, you know, restrictions, um, we're certainly seeing the market grow. It's interesting because when we first, when we started our first business, Graffiti Life, like we paint murals for kind of offices, a lot of advertising campaigns, like all sorts of things now. Like we started that kind of in 2009 off the back of the last recession when, again, all ad spend was down, everything just wasn't great. But I feel like because we came at it with like a creative approach, it was like people were used to seeing billboards. But as soon as we went to hand paint it, it was like, this is something new, this is something special. And I feel like creativity really won there. And that's kind of what allowed us to survive in such like a hard time. How do you think creativity will be effect like change in terms of people's perspectives over the coming like months and years? Yeah. So, I mean, one of our core values internally is creativity with a purpose and I think the key word there is obviously with a purpose or the key phrase in there is with a purpose yeah. because um, it's so important that, you know, during these times as well um, that you're sensitive. We've seen some of, you know, ad campaigns getting certain backlashes. Um, we've seen certain campaigns really actually, you know, get it right as well. So I think creativity has evolved where people need to be a little bit more conscious and, you know, um, sensitive but from the same notes um, also don't be afraid to think of it outside the box to sort of you know um, I guess get that feeling back that um, everyone's there together and I think I actually saw um, I think it was, it was done by mother um, but it was um, for TFL um, one of the best advertisement campaigns I've seen at the moment which is just simply um, a heart within the words and um, be kind in the middle um, and it's just putting that emotion back into the creative 
um, where it's really allowing people to, you know, understand that we're all in this together um, and that, you know, you should be kind at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, it's so, so, so important at the moment. Uh, that just makes me think of that Kylie Jenner Pepsi commercial, which I feel just did everything wrong, um, especially when it comes to to sort of using an influencer. And I think the advantage you have of, of being sort of a younger founder is understanding those like I'm not saying that there's no kind of older founders but you feel like me and I'd spend a lot of our time visiting different agencies and sometimes you feel within those structures that they are very much a machine that that there's no kind of voices heard and and I feel that Pepsi advert came about because no one had the courage to stand up and go hang on we're kind of painting Kylie Jenner as a like white savior this is completely ridiculous um and I feel like in a company like yours where you've got a younger founder where you've got a team who whose their values all align it's like that content's not going to get through because you have this filter of everyone that knows what they believe in and they know the content that they want to create is is going to be more positive it's it's creativity with a purpose i think creativity with a purpose is so so important and you know you, you do have situations where brands can get it so wrong but you also have situations where brands you know have been really nailing it on the head right now and i think Although it's important to have, you know, those young trailblazers um, involved in the discussion so that you're getting, I guess, that, you know, that diversity in discussion. Um, I do still think that it's so, so important to have that experience in the room um, for, um, you know, people to be able to speak from what they've seen in the past and, you know, worked on in the past to really aid and ensure that creative is going down, you know, the right path in a certain campaign. Um, so it's always important to have as a diverse room as possible um, to ensure that every angle is thought about yeah. and not just perhaps one yeah. age demographic or one um, gender demographic. So obviously being in this space, you see a lot of the, the stuff that does go wrong. Like what are some of the most common mistakes that people are making with their social media accounts as as like a brand or as, as an individual creator? The most overused phrase within influence marketing within social media it's just the lack of authenticity used um yeah. because yeah. you you often get partnerships where they're not perhaps building that meaningful relationship between the two um and it's just you know it's so obvious to the consumer who's viewing the advert that there is no way um you know perhaps that creator would actually work with that brand um if it wasn't for money or perhaps there's no way that, you know, that creator would be actually using that product or service. Um, so I think, you know, attached to that, it's it's just being real. It's especially now more than ever when everyone's just kind of so sick of bullshit and everyone just kind of wants just honest and open communication that just be as real as possible right now. And that's how you're going to be able to win um, on social, especially um, and that's why I think, you know, we've seen such a huge rise in live, um, you know, um, content form over um, over COVID because people have been able to, um, I guess, portray or give out their, um, you know, open, honest feedback in an unedited and an unrecorded fashion, which is really appealing to consumers right now because the only other live sort of content that they'd had to date is news which unfortunately you know have, had got, has gone down a path of being not the most um overly enjoyable thing to watch just because of you know unfortunately some of the things that have been happening in the world so when it comes to like working with influencers is there any kind of coaching you provide them with that we've seen the data that these things are working or is it more of a just a kind of you work together with on a brand basis so we actually recently partnered with global web index um, and we did a report on, I guess, how COVID-19 had impacted um, influence marketing. Um, and what that actually went into detail with wasn't just, you know, what brand behavior um, was like, but also how, you know, what creator behavior was best performing. So was that, you know, like how-to tutorial videos or was that, um, you know, hauls and things like that. So we do certainly yeah. gather data on the creator side to help better inform them on you know what's relevant right now what can help them get those views as well but ultimately it also stems down to 
you know, that phrase of being real again and being authentic because creators do know their audience the best. We can guide them on trends, but it really is the creators and their audiences um, who understand that, um, you know, the best. Adam and I obviously know about what goes into setting up a business and when you were setting up Influencer, how, like, did you have to make any sacrifices? Was there anything that um, that really suffered because you were basically working on the business full time? Yeah, so I actually, um, I was at Bath University um, studying business um, at the time of when I was setting up Influencer um, and actually dropped out of university. It was probably one of the biggest gambles I've ever taken, um, especially as, I suppose when we're at that age, everyone's drilled in on how important going to university is. And I I suppose as I'd managed to get into university and it was a good university for the course that I wanted to study, there was that extra extra added element of pressure. Um, But what I've learned since dropping out is completely unparalleled to what I would have learned at university. And that's not to say that everyone who drops out or doesn't go to university will be able to, you know, learn much more than they would do at university. University is very right for some people as well. And I think that's a really, really important point because I often get asked that quite a lot. Like, oh, does that mean I should just drop out? Or does that mean I should go to university? It's right for different people. Um, It really depends on what your focus is. Um, But I, I do think if you're very passionate about something and you're willing to commit to those hours and you're willing to commit to initially a lot of I suppose um not necessarily failures and that's something which is really important to note is that you shouldn't see things as failures but mere stepping stones on your way to success um but you know if you're willing to be able to listen to a lot of no's and um be able to bounce back off that um then you know doing something like making that big sacrifice can be worth it um further down down you know down the line was that a difficult conversation to have with like your parents or your kind of teachers? Yeah, very difficult conversation. Uh, <laughs> both parents, very traditional, um, absolutely no way, not going to happen. Um, but then my dad um, himself um, had always, um, you know, had a strong passion for entrepreneurship. So he basically said, look, it's not absolutely no way. It's actually present to us a proper plan of how this is going to work out. Um, and then once, you know, you presented a proper plan, then we can have this discussion together. Um, but I think, you know, it's not something which you should take as a very quick decision. You should put a lot of thought into it. And, you know, it was amazing that after, you know, going back over that plan, then, um, with my dad at at the time, um, I was able to realize perhaps a lot of the things I hadn't initially thought about to make sure that when I did drop out that, um, I was going on the right path afterwards. That's very cool. And you're very lucky to have that because I I think for so many people, they just get the flat no. um, And then you've got the sunk cost fallacy of, of, oh, well, I have, or I've already paid for two or three or however many terms. And you sort of think, and, and, and I got this place, I got offered, there were people who were turned down to come here and I've been offered it. And now I'm just going to walk away from it. And for, uh, for a lot of parents who are filled with love for their precious babies, for them, it's not, it's not conversation. So I think you're really lucky to have open-minded enough parents who were willing to say, okay, let's discuss this. And if you can, if you can, let's have a reasoned argument. And if you can present your side, then, then maybe we'll, we'll see it that way. Definitely. And I think one thing which was really interesting and eye-opening is, you know, even when my parents had then finally, you know, agreed to it, um, a lot of perhaps friends' parents and other, you know, friends as well, we're perhaps looking like, why on earth have you made this decision? This is one of the worst decisions you're ever going to have to make. And you've kind of just got to put that to one side and see that as like, you know, motivation to really prove them wrong and really put that almost extra um, added layer of determination to really um, to really make it a success. And do you feel like you've proved them wrong now? Uh, I mean, for, for me, you know, I, I'm always with the mindset where um, I'm always climbing a mountain where I always think I can get higher. So I've never got to a stage where I've just sat back and thought, cool, this is, you know, this is, you know, this is exactly where I wanted to be. Partly because I didn't really properly know where I wanted to be at the start. (laughs) So it's more a case where I think, you know, when we've got influencers to a certain level, 
then I'll be able to perhaps sit back and, you know, think, but right now I'm in proper, you know, scale up mode, proper growth stage where I just can't wait to keep expanding influencer and um, seeing where we can take it. That it hasn't really, you know, I necessarily crossed my mind to think, okay, well, you know, I'm content at where we are. Do you have a vision of like where you would like to be or is it just a constant process to see where it goes? I mean, you know, there's of course the, um, you know, the ultimate goal that we best truly believe that influencer can be that powerhouse of influence marketing on a global, you know, on a global level. Um, and that's something which we're consistently striving towards. I think influencer marketing is essentially you know, the definition of influencer marketing keeps expanding um, because so many new companies are kind of spinning off over what influencer marketing actually entails. And we're probably only in two out of five of the lanes of influencer marketing at the moment. Um, So I'd love to see, you know, how we can really properly, you know, nail the lanes that we're currently in. And then once we've done that, see if we can access any of the other lanes um, and, you know, really grow out um, the influencer offering. What would you say your favorite part of your day-to-day work is? Without a doubt, being with my team. Um, like it is the team that motivate me. Um, it's the team who, as a, you know, I've used this phrase earlier on, but trailblazers, I think there are so many impressive people in the company who are absolutely smashing it. And it motivates me to know that, you know, they're really learning and they're really um you know, they're really smashing it th- themselves. Um, so to see us all together in a room, you know, being able to, um, you know, I guess have actual movement on an industry um, is really, really exciting and really, really, you know, it motivates me. I feel like what you just said there is the reason why you have a good culture. It's because you're more dedicated to your team than you are anything else. Like that is your favorite part. And I'm sure that your staff see that coming back the other way as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so important to um, invest in your team and just also just be thankful for everything that your team, um, you know, the the commitment that your team put into the business. Um, I think that's all part of being a startup and and it's important to never forget that um, because that's really what helps, as you say, build a strong culture, you know, a company and enable the company to grow further. If you could go back to your younger self, just starting up a t-shirt company, what would be your one piece of advice to that younger younger self? It would be, you know, just don't, you know, just can, you know, just don't give up. And I think that's the one thing which I've got a very strong mindset where there are multiple times over the years where I've thought, you know what? No, this is it. I know <laughs> I'm a 22 year old. I can't be dealing with this much stress, but it's to have that mindset yeah. to keep pushing on um, and, you know, get to, um, get to where you are and, and make people who have put that trust um, and that confidence in you, um, you know, proud essentially. And I think that's the most important thing. It's to, um, you know, put that faith back into um, to other people that they've put back into you. So, you know, repaying it. Brilliant. Obviously Casper has been huge in helping you is uh, your like co-founder and setting up the business, everything like that. Have you had, any other mentors and if so what's the best advice that you've been given from those mentors i've certainly had you know a loads of mentors um both you know directly um i guess you know with an interest in in influencer and also just people who i've looked up and you know um been inspired by whether that be you know <laughs> probably the most cliche ones like the gary vaynerchuk or the simon sinek like i love simon sinek's videos um, they're really, really, you know, they, they, they help me with my mindset, certainly um, in you know, yeah. like leadership and in business. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, direct um, ones within influence, I think it's so important to be surrounding yourself by as many mentors as possible, um, because ultimately these ones have had the experience in the past and are, are able to be those sounding boards and help you propel to where you want to be. So obviously Casper's that fantastic co-founder that I've got who's able, you know, who were able to just be so close to an advice. But, you know, we've also brought on board um, someone called Adam Ludwin, who was the co-founder of a business called Captify. He's been an incredible mentor um, because he's scaled up his business to 
almost 100 million pound revenue, um, which is incredible. And he's been in the advertising space and learned a lot from how he's been able to scale that up. But, you know, a bunch of other um, mentors as well from people who have been lawyers, from people who've been involved in scaling up series A's. So, you know, I can't thank enough for any mentors that I've had, but I would always just suggest that everyone surrounds themselves um, with mentors um, because it's the way in which they will learn um, most importantly. Brilliant. This has been so interesting, dude. Really great to talk to you. How can people find out about you online? Thank you so much for having me. Um, really, really um, appreciate being on this. Um, please do feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Um, name's Ben Jeffries or go to our website, which is influencer.com. Brilliant. Thanks so much, dude. Thanks very much, David and Adam. Appreciate it.